So let me ask you this question. What are the hot buttons in your life? Maybe in your marriage, maybe at work, maybe in your relationship with your parents or with children, that if, if you don't watch it, it can just go nuclear. Do you know what I'm talking about there? It can just go nuclear. You, you can be thinking some things and saying some things that you don't normally think or say. But when you come out at it, they fire right back. And, and before we know it, it's just gotten nuclear. I want you to find Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. And we're going to talk about that some this morning. If you came in with your husband or your wife, would you just scoot over real close to them? Just, maybe you happen to be with your, with your parents. We have, I have the greatest mother-in-law on the earth, who is Shirley's mom, who's here this morning, Elaine. And, and, um, so Shirley, I, you sit real close to your mom. Having done everything, because where we've been the last week or so, having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm. Verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, let me just stop there. Finally, for the word finally to be there, it, it means that he is connecting what he has said before in this letter to what is to follow in this letter. He's wanting us to keep in mind, take into consideration the instructions, the insights that he's given before as they have to do with what he is about to say. Finally, now he ended up in verse 9 of chapter 6 talking about masters or talking about employees or employers who have employees. They have people working under them. You back up in verse 5 and the word slaves there for us today, that, that would mean we work for somebody else. Instructions that have been given, we'll read this in a minute, instructions from the Lord for how to behave if you are working for somebody else. Then you back it up to verse 1 in chapter 6, and he's talking about children, children as it relates to their parents, how that's supposed to happen. And then, then in verse 4, he specifically calls out fathers, and he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Specific instructions to employers, to employees, to fathers, to children, and then last but not least, and chapter 5 on toward the end of it, 
instructions from the Lord for husbands and wives. So, and then prior to that, it's some general instruction for individual believers and and how not to keep living in the old way, how to come clean of the of the old way, and how to how to receive by faith the new person that you are in Christ. All of that has been addressed before. And then we come to this word finally. Finally, after things have been said to bosses, to ones who work for bosses, to fathers, to children, to husbands and wives, finally now, if you're going to get those things done that you've just been instructed as to how the Lord is pleased if you do them, you're going to have to be strong in the Lord. A boss is going to have to be strong in the Lord to conduct himself the way he's been directed to conduct himself with those who work for him, right on up through the chain. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might. Now, just right there, folks, we, gotta, we just need to stop. This is a book of grace. This is not a book of law. Your New Testament and the words of Jesus and the writings because of Jesus are all about God's enabling power. His ability to forgive because of what Jesus did on the cross. But when you find the word grace, when Paul will say, grace be unto you, grace in the spirit of his grace, all of that consistently means God giving to us things we can't generate ourselves. God giving to us things we don't deserve, that, that being his mercy and his forgiveness. But he, here's the thing. If you'll let this in, if this will drop 18 inches, it'll just change things. The Lord isn't out there somewhere looking at your life and holding up a bar and saying, jump it, clear it, do it, and do it now. He's saying, here is the bar. Here is how I've called you to live. But get this, my child. I have sent to you my spirit to dwell inside you, to enable you to say no to stuff you never were able to say no to, to say yes to the things that you know you need to say yes to. The ability, giving you ability to do things and be things that you've never been able to be before. Finally, Paul is saying, he's reminding them, whether you're a boss, whether you work for somebody, whether you're daddy raising kids, whether you're a child trying to love parents, whether you're husband and wife, finally get your strength to be those things and do those things from the Lord himself. The assumption being he wants to give it to you. He wants to enable you, but it has to be received by faith. We gotta lose this attitude that God is just a performance-based friend or lover, that if we do certain things and we do certain things the way he wants them to do them, then maybe we've earned a little favor, we've earned a little more approval for a while. No, that was settled when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins and my sins, giving to us forgiveness full and free and forever. He invites us simply to embrace, to receive what he's already provided for and to receive the filling of his spirit to enable us to do the things that he's called us to do. Then he goes on to say in verse 11, 
put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I want to remind us once again of the context of Paul's words. He is writing this at the conclusion of a specific delineation of instructions to specific lots in life, to bosses, to ones who work for bosses, to daddies, to children, to husbands and wives, and on beyond that, to, to individuals, to single, married, older, younger, how to live their, how to live their lives. What he's saying is the battle that's going to come at you in your marriage, the battle that's going to come at you as a child relating to parents, the battle that's going to come at you at work as an employee, as an employer, the battle that is going to come at you as a child of God is beyond the realm, above the realm of just the physical flesh and blood. He's not talking about a battle or these, these forces of darkness arrayed at us as if it is something way out there, once in a blue moon, maybe you'll face it, maybe never face it. He puts it in the context of everyday living. He puts it in the context of husbands and wives relating to each other on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. He puts it in the context of a child Older, maybe younger, but a child having to deal, wanting to deal rightly with a mom and dad who are not perfect people, who, who, who you may not agree with in every sense, but the call is you honor them. You honor them. A daddy, the context of a daddy. How do you wear the daddy hat, the boss hat, the daddy hat, where you got to say no and you got to enforce some consequences for violating the rules of the house. But how do you do that without provoking your children to wrath, the battleground? Do you, do you see that? Paul's not talking about something for theologians. He's not talking about something that's kind of once in a blue moon kind of thing. He's saying that for every husband and wife, you need to know that when something goes thermonuclear between the two of you because a hot button or two has been pushed, you just need to understand there may be somebody else in the room, and it's not Jesus. Jesus in you, but we're struggling not with flesh and blood. The fight isn't with him. The fight isn't with her. It's not flesh and blood. There, there is something or actually literally somebody's that can drive the fight, that can push the fight, that can pour gasoline on the little spark of fire. And before we know it, it's gone nuclear. We're saying stuff, we're doing things, we're threatening things, throwing things, all of those kinds, it's gone nuclear. And Paul is saying, he's saying, number one, 
If you're going to live the way the Lord's called you to live as a husband, wife, right on down through the line, it's going to have to be by God's strength and you're not, not your strength. You won't have the ability to live up to these things by yourself. The second thing he's saying is that there is a real devil and he has arrayed forces of darkness under him and he literally and actually has come to steal, kill, and destroy in your marriage, with your children, children and parents, at work, and so forth. So he's saying here, understand that there is another dimension of the conflict, and the way to get the conflict stopped is not just to out-holler each other, out-threaten each other, stomp off and walk away from each other. Because what if the real generator behind the animosity, behind the fight, is not even anybody you can see, but it is somebody who is intent upon stealing from you joy, stealing from you peace, stealing from you a sense of excitement about the future. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is a verse most of you can quote by memory. Jesus says, the thief, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, amen, that you might have life and that you might have it super abundantly. Now back up to the thief. We're talking about the thief a little bit this morning. The thief being the devil, the thief being Satan. He comes for this purpose. When he shows up, when he works his way into a situation, he only has these three purposes. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. You can track him back. You can track him by what has been stolen from you, by what has been killed, by what has been destroyed. But here's, this, here's something that's interesting. The thief comes to steal, to rob you, to rob a marriage, to rob a couple, to rob from parents and children, to rob from situations at work that could be blessed greatly. He comes to, to steal he comes to kill. Now, now, this is interesting. The word translated kill here is a word that is used for the presenting of a sacrifice. It can be a blood sacrifice or a non-blood sacrifice, but it has with it the idea of presenting a sacrifice on an altar. Well, what in the world? Jesus is saying, you, by using this word, he could be referring to the fact that Satan desires to so create such a fight, such a fuss, such a sacrificial pyre going up that everything that is going up, everything that is going on is a sacrifice to him. It's a sacrifice praising his power. It's a sacrifice honoring his name. Now that, that's the word Jesus used. To steal Satan comes to steal, to suck away from us, take away from us that which God has given us, but he also wants to turn you into and turn me into such a screaming, spitting, fighting fit that he's honored, 
that it, it's like we, our, our, our being has put on, been put on a sacrificial altar and as the fire light it gets heated up and smoke comes up and we're being consumed, it's just all praise to him. Great Scott. Amazing that Jesus used that word. Then the last word, he comes to destroy. He comes to ruin it. He comes to annihilate it. But he never dresses like, you know, the guy in the, the red suit and the pitchfork and the tail. He comes as a transformed angel of light. He can come quoting scripture. He can come singing songs. He can come being so sweet. But at the end of the day, he's stolen something that God wanted to. At the end of the day, he has generated such a situation of chaos and turmoil and defeat that the funeral pyre of what's going on praises him, magnifies the name of Satan, and then he comes to just flat out destroy, to annihilate to crush beyond recognition. The thief, when he comes, comes to steal, kill, or destroy. But let's not forget the last part of that verse. Jesus says, but in contrast to all of that, I've come that you may have life. Life from every dimension of living. Beyond just biological, it includes the social, it includes the emotional, it includes the spiritual. The things you'll be able to see because Jesus is in you that you never saw before. The things you'll ever be able to do that you're never able to do because Jesus is alive in you. Super abundantly, super abundantly, super abundantly, Satan is the other end of the continuum. So we come back to Ephesians and Paul. Our struggle is against those forces that are bent upon stealing from you and generating such a mess in the relationship that it becomes a sacrifice of praise to Satan. Jesus nowhere on her. Jesus no, that, that, that nuclear, it just goes nuclear. And there's nobody that gets any glory but Satan himself for generating such a thing. And then he comes to destroy. Paul is saying that those, those, are the, those are the things we're fighting against. Those are the things we're struggling against. You say, well, why, why in the world would, would, would the devil care that much about my marriage? Well, if he can ruin a husband and wife, he's got a leg up on ruining future generations that would be born into that home or children who would be influenced by that relationship. And beyond that, and perhaps even more of a priority than that, Satan just understands if he can defeat you, if he can work a season of defeat, if he can work a season of confusion, if he can work a season where our eyes are off of Jesus, then he has, in effect, stolen glory from the God who deserves all the glory. That we're focusing here, we're looking here, we're, we're dealing with this instead of being able to freely and fully praise and honor. He's a thief. He wants to steal God's glory. He wants to steal the good things that God wants to give you. And so here we come back to Ephesians 6 and this practical thing. Finally, you be strong in the Lord, understanding that what is arrayed against your marriage 
is a supernatural force of darkness in a sense. What is arrayed against your work, what is arrayed against your children, what is arrayed against your marriage. Therefore, we are to put on this full armor of God that we may stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schemes, the schemes. Now just, just sit with that a minute. Schemes, it's translated schemes. It comes from the word that we get the English word, methods. That, that we may stand firm against the methods of the enemy. It means a system that works. It means a pre-thought out, pre-planned, pre-arranged, currently being implemented that has been proven to work in similar situations at other times. The methods of the enemy are proven methods that work to destroy marriages, to destroy relationships, to knock opportunities in business and back on their heels. Standing firm against the methods that were to look. Some of you can look back at your family line. You can look back at your family line. And you can maybe see marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage that was in disarray. They may not have changed the last name, may have gotten divorced, but it was hell on earth. Or it was no relationship at all. Or there was this formal thing, but there were all kinds of other relationships going on outside the bonds. My brother, my sister, if it worked on your family line, just understand the enemy is going to try it against you in time because it worked. Because it worked. Paul is saying, he's saying, understand there's an elephant in the room when it goes nuclear. There's something else, some other force, some driving power, something else in the room when it goes nuclear. And even when it heads in that direction, you've got to be able to stand firm against the methods of the enemy. But he says, as we pointed out in the beginning, you'll never be able to do it just by saying, I'm going to try hard. I saw what my parents did. I saw what happened in this situation, and I'm not going to let that happen. Well, they said the same thing probably on the day of their marriage or as they began the business, whatever it would be. The enemy understands that all of our willpower is just a temporary speed bump for him. But what he knows that he has to give off, give away to. What he has to back away from is when there is someone in a fight, in a struggle, that says right off the bat, I don't have the ability to win this fight. I have no strength in myself. But here's where I'm going to get my strength. I'm going to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved me. I'm going to seek an overflowing outpouring of his Holy Spirit to infill me and empower me and enable me so that I won't be just believing the lies of the enemy and hearing the things that he's saying. I got a new set of ears. I got a new sense of understanding in my mind by the power of the Spirit coming to live within me. When you move on down through this, 
And he says, having done everything to stand firm. I believe that having done everything, as well as this part about you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, those things have direct application to what Paul has just said by the power of the Spirit, giving specific instructions. The, the, the word translated, the Word of the Spirit, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word there is not the word that, is, that has Jesus as its ultimate fulfillment in the sense Jesus is the logos, the, the great word of God, the complete vocabulary, all of the books, all of the communication from heaven to earth. It's in the logos, the word that is Jesus Christ. This is a different word. It's the word that means a sentence in the big book. It means even a a word in the sentence in the big book. It's true, but it's specific. It's not everything Jesus said. It's this specific instruction that he gave, this specific promise that he, that's rhema, rhema. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's not the whole Bible. It's one specific verse out of the Bible. One or two verses that apply to your situation, specifically instructed by the Lord, promises given from the Lord, warnings, directions given from the Lord. And he says, you take that up. You take that sword of the Spirit up in your spirit hand, the only offensive weapon listed in all of this array of armor that the Christian has. The only one that's offensive is the rhema of God, the word of God, the specific direction, the specific promise of God. Now, we're not going to pick it up if we don't believe it's true. Now, let's stay with somebody say, amen, amen. Well, we, we're, not, not, we're not fully applying this yet. Just hang on. When you say, I believe the Bible, I believe every bit of it, I believe it's all true. Well, unless we take hold of it, unless we believe not just that it was true once upon a time, but that it's true for my situation, in my setting, here we go, with my husband, with my wife, with my child, with the ones who work for me, the ones I'm working for. It's as if we've never picked it up if we say about it, well, it's true for some folks, but it's not necessarily true for me. God said those things about husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church. He meant it for some men, but he didn't necessarily mean it for me. You are unarmed in the fight, dude. You don't have a sword to hold on to because you have jettisoned the sword, failed to pick up the sword because you have assumed that what God said way back then didn't apply to you. You're a different case. You're a different situation. You're, 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 you're new to the human race. See how that works. I, I, did, I got off with the men there, but ladies, 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 ladies. We never pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, unless we believe it is true, unless we believe it is true for me, unless I'm willing to stand firm with the Word of God, on the Word of God in my situation. So it's not just, it's not just you standing firm against him or her, but it's you standing against the lies that you're vulnerable to and embracing the 
truth that God has said. That's why that song, we're going to have to listen to it again. They may, be, they may need to sing it all afternoon. All afternoon. I am what you so I. Even when I don't feel anything, Lord. Even when it's not making sense. Even when it seems like he's talking about somebody else. Lord, I need to know what you say about me. That's what I cling to. That's what I hold on to. That's where I'm standing firm. Show you John chapter 8. Would you find John chapter 8? 8 verse 44. You are of your father the devil. He's speaking to unbelieving Jewish leaders, ones who would know the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, Jesus says. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Supernaturally empowered with the ability to tell a lie and make it feel like the truth to a human being. So, so when things go thermonuclear in our situations, we have to ask the Lord, what part of this thermonuclear reaction is on me? What part of this is the result of my believing a lie that Satan has planted in my heart. Look over at verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to these Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth, the truth shall make you free. Verse 36, if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What if in the invisible realm of the relationship chaos that sometimes we find ourselves in, what if in, what if in the very same room that we're standing in, that we are a part of, that we're in the middle of, that there is also some member of the forces of darkness pushing the lie into the emotional part of you again and again. Wherever you've been vulnerable, whatever it seems to be easy to believe, whatever it seems to be easy to accept about, about the other person or about who you are. Folks, listen, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When we find ourselves engaging in nuclear situations, we can begin, if we step away from it, and just, Lord, 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 will you show me what part of this is my part? Where am I believing a lie? Because when it goes thermonuclear, it's beyond just the two of you. Do I have a witness? It's like it has a life of its own. 
It's like it's just bigger. You're, you're people in that setting that you never are in any other place. Is that the power of the Holy Spirit? We'd have to say, I don't think so. Well, then where is the power? Where is the energy? Where is the drivenness? Where is the resolve? Where is the boldness coming from? What if it is one of those forces of darkness that's just pressing the method button that always works? Just keeps pressing the method. It's worked before. He just pushes the button. Just a matter of time, blows up. So Paul would say, here's what you got to do. You need to understand that there is a scheming, methodical, second most powerful being in the whole universe individual who has set himself and those who work for him to steal from you, to offer you up as a sacrifice to how powerful he is because of the blow-up he can create in your life, and even to destroy you, to wreck, to ruin you. To understand that, but then to understand that the Lord has given truth, truth that will set the captive free. 1 John 3, 18, 3, 8. For the Son of God came for this very purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil in a sense, in a powerful, wonderful sense, by going to the cross and paying with his own blood for the sins that we would all commit. But he would also say in John chapter 8 that he came to bring truth, truth, that when the Son has set you free with the truth that he brings, you're free indeed. You see, if you've been, if you've been beaten up by somebody before, emotionally, tragically, physically, but if you've been beaten up by somebody before, you can come into another relationship, another opportunity to build something new to build again, but the lie from the old relationship, this is just one of a jillion examples, the lie that, well, that was one man, that was one woman, they are indicative of all the rest of the human race. I can never trust, I can never become vulnerable Push the button. Method, Satan method, method. We point out, well, they failed here and they failed there and they failed this other time, therefore I can't trust them regarding the future. Well, that, that, that's, that, that, that's why there is this instruction for us in Ephesians that we can't do this without the strength of God. We, we can't, but, but see, folks, Again, I'm saying that the biggest, one of the biggest parts of where we're going to stand firm is not how, how big and bad we're going to be at the one over here, but it's whether or not we will choose to stand firm in what God says is true about my role in this situation. Can somebody just grunt, uh, you know, if I did. 
It's not a big bear, just straighten them out, straighten them out. What if, what if uh, part, of the, part of what I bring to the, to, the, to the nuclear blow up is the fact that I come into it believing a lie. And if Satan has already convinced you of a lie, he's got you. Not to take you to hell, but everywhere he wants to pull you with that hook in your jaw because you're believing the lie and have not renounced it, he can take you. Take you where he wants you to go. Bring you to conclusions that he wants you to have. And then he has a way of just stacking on other lies to reinforce the original lie. And that ends up being what Paul would say a stronghold. A place that Satan has in your life that you have given him. Because you agreed with the lie rather than the truth. Truth sets us free. When a lie is being believed and acted on, when things go nuclear, somebody else may be in the room, and we've got to back up and say when it keeps going, what part of this is mine? And then at that point, at that place, cry out for the mercy of Jesus. Confess the sin. You know, not, not contingent upon the knucklehead confessing his or her sins, but it's just you and Jesus, child of God. You, you, you need his favor on your life more than you need the approval of anybody else in your life. And so this is about this way, the heaven being opened. So Lord, show me. And, and, and I don't think there's anybody in this room who would be able to say, in, in nuclear situations that you never said, over said anything, never thought anything, never maybe perpetrated something that you knew wasn't right. No, nobody, we, we all, there are buttons that he can push and when they get to going off in that, to that velocity and with that kind of power, we need to just understand there may be somebody else in the room pushing the button. And we recognize that. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to fill me. I ask you to take me back to the truth. Oh, right, now look, no, no wives, no husbands have stomped out of here yet, but I'm fixing to tell you here where we're going. And again, again, I'm going to start with the men. In Ephesians 5, there are more said to men as far as just number of verbs and number of nouns and adjectives, and ad there are more verbiage applied to husbands in this than to women, to, to wives. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up up for her. What part of giving himself up for her do we as men not understand? Just as Christ also loved the church. Now let, let's, just, let's just think about the church there for a minute. We being a part of the church, do I have a witness? Do we always wake up loving God with all our hearts? Do, do, do we always just have a, a nice attitude about people around us. Do, do we 
do we always seem to be easy to love? The answer would have to be no. And I hear men say, well, pastor, if she would just respect me a little more, I could love her a little more like Jesus did the church. Well, just that dog won't hunt because he came out of heaven to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. Peter will say that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now, the literal rendering of that is basically it's a, it's a science project. <laughs> she is your science project. You're supposed to study her, examine her, listen to her, know more about her than anybody but God himself knows about her. Live with your wife in the light of what you know about her, then you adjust your living to that. How about that, guys? And the wives think they've got the biggest problem in a sense of being in submission, acting in a way that is respectful, consistently respectful. Now, let me run back over here to this nuclear situation. When something comes up in the household, in the home, husband and wife, and it, it's it's because we're not agreeing about something. There, there's a difference of opinion, or we got a track record here and we're trying to do something, but the track record here seems to indicate it's not it's gonna go south from before the get-go. So we opt out of it, or we won't opt out of it. There's the fight. We go back to that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. to the husband at the threat of the nuclear moment. Long before we get there, but if it hits, if it blows up and we find ourselves riding the mushroom cloud up to Venus, <laughs> and then the Lord reminds us of his word. You love her like I love the church and gave myself up for the church. But Lord, I don't know how to do that. I can't keep doing that. That's why my servant Paul said, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where I need you to stand, husband. That's where I need you to stand. Even though you may not like my word, may not agree with my word, my word is truth. My word sets the captives free. My word will cause the forces of darkness that are belching this difficulty at you and cause you to be in God. It causes them to have to realize they've met their match because you're not speaking your opinion. You're not throwing your fit. You're not stomping around with your feet. You're speaking my word. Amen. You're speaking my word. You're standing on my word. Well, sometimes, you know, we get to throwing scripture back and forth at each other. Well, the scripture says, the scripture says, folks, we just got to quit that because the main target of the scripture is what the Lord's trying to say with his scripture to you, not to her. 
Ladies, do we dare cross the aisle? We'll say, you, you honor your husband. Jesus died single. That means you never had the option of marrying a perfect man. Ladies. He's not out there. He said, well, I'd just be better if he was better. What if he never gets better? But if in your heart, Lord, I need your help. Surely and probably every one of the daughters of Eve in this room the, the genetics got mixed up. You people, you ladies, have the memories of elephants. <laughs> the genetics have gotten all mixed up. I mean, stuff I forgot about that we fought about. Well, let me say that we had lively discussions about. But I'm telling you, Something can come up and it can just prick that file folder in her brain and it's as real as if it happened at daylight this morning. And I don't know, I don't know how to tell you in a human sense how you can get past that except to say that this word is true. And, and it, may not, it may not seem to make sense. It may not seem to fit. It, it may seem to be absolutely humanly impossible, but it is, it, it is the sword of the Spirit that you're able to use, not to, not to take your husband's head off with, cut his ear off, but the darkness. The darkness. The Lord said that if I would honor my husband, as I would seek to honor the Lord, then God would honor that. So, so that's where I'm standing. Lord, having done everything, having done all the places of obedience in those things, Jesus, help me to stand firm, believing you, trusting you, waiting on you. I, I, get, I get real quiet on this subject matter because I realize she's sitting right here on the front row. <laughs> and she could take out that pastor's wife penalty flag that she carries and she could throw it like that. <laughs> and not a thing I could say. She could come up here. But I can tell you this, and it may all change this afternoon. <laughs> but I, I think I can say up to this point that the nuclear moments in our relationship have diminished greatly since we began asking the Lord, will you show me, Jesus, what my part is, what lie I'm believing? 
that your word won't work, that your word isn't power, it isn't meant for this particular situation or, or some lie about what she's thinking or what he's thinking or what the goal is or where we're going. It'll help you, folks, listen, it'll help you when you realize there may be somebody else in the room. It's not just her and it's not just him. And what the methods are that Satan has used before, he'll keep pushing those buttons as long as they work. But when we are willing to just step into the light and know that we can't do this, Lord, without your power, and show me, Lord, where I'm in agreement with the enemy and not with you, he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. Read, if you're working for somebody, you have folks working for you, read, read that section because that's where nuclear moments can happen. Fathers with kids, children with parents, grown parents and otherwise, Lord, help me here. And he will. He will. Rick, if you guys can... Be up here, y'all already there. Just... Okay. If you if you are um, if you're married to somebody and they're sitting within arm's reach, would you reach over and put your arm around them? Sure. Would you come? Mind coming and standing with me? If there's anything you need to correct or add to the minutes, I'll give you the. Lord, we're grateful for your mercy. And we're grateful for it not just because of what it can do to clear the air between the two of us, but we're grateful for your mercy because of what it has the power to do to stop the forces of darkness from continuing their seamless, endless barrages to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray, Lord, that you will bless with conversations this afternoon and the days to come. Honest and humble and looking to Jesus. You've said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We trust you to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name.